Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts, or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. All right, thank you, and on with the show. The month your child was born may have an impact on your future stress levels, and by future, I mean by the time they start school. That might feel like an impossibly distant future right now, but every year, parents across Australia wrestle with the decision about whether or not to hold their children back from school. Dr. Amanda Mergler is a senior lecturer at the School of Early Childhood and Inclusive Education at Queensland University of Technology, and she's looked into the conundrum of the age children start school. Hi, Amanda. How are you? Hi, I'm well, thanks. Is it true that the age kids start school isn't actually uniform across Australia? Um, it is true. There are different cutoffs for different kids um, in different states. So, for example, uh, in Queensland, the cutoff is June. Um, in other states, it might be April or um, December of the year before. So, some kids can start school at four and a half. So, in Queensland, for example, they can start at four and a half. Whereas in other states, they might be more likely to start closer to five, just depending on when the cutoff for that state is and where their birthday falls. And in theory, children can start around the age of six, right, if you hold them back? That's correct. So in Queensland, um, children, if they're meant to start around four and a half, if you delay them, they might start at five and a half, or because of their birthday, they might be um, closer to six. Um, Again, it's different in each state, but in Queensland, children don't actually have to be in school until they are six. So um, you can actually delay children legally um, so long as they're attending school by their sixth birthday. Wow. Um, There seems to be a whole other discussion there about what that means for kindergarten teachers with such a big age range. Um, But let's talk about how we tell whether or not a child is ready for school. This has been explained to me as being about social and emotional skills as opposed to being about reading or writing or addition skills. Is that still the case? Um, It is different for different people, but what we do know is that there is a lot of research evidence that shows that being socially and emotionally ready is important for children. What that means, of course, can be difficult to determine. Um, And what some people might see as socially and emotionally ready, another person might see as not quite ready yet. Um, The research we've done up here in Queensland showed that parents were far more concerned about the social and emotional readiness of their children than they were about the academic readiness of their children. So I think parents understand, and research does show that what is quite important is are they socially and emotionally ready to take on those expectations that will come with starting school. So um, let's just have a listen to one mum that I spoke to. Her name's Leonie Percy. She sent her son, Lael, to school just after he turned five and she agonised over the decision. So let's have a listen to what worried her when he started. I thought he was emotionally not ready. And physically as well, you know, he was little and it was quite obvious that the kids who were turning six were much bigger than him. When children are this age, um, 
four, five and six, that can be such a big difference in how young they seem. So she mentioned that he was a lot smaller than the other kids. And I know that size itself probably isn't a big indicator of how they're going to go at school. But when she says he's not emotionally ready or she didn't feel he was emotionally ready, what does that say to you? I know you said it's different for each parent and how they know their child. But when we talk about that readiness, are there some practical things that we're looking at? Like, should our child be able to share? Should they be able to take turns? I mean, is that what we're talking about? Should they be able to make friends? Because these are all hard skills, even at five or six, right? Yeah, they are. They are. And for some people, they're hard skills as adults. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, those are, you know, exactly the things you listed are the sorts of things that we're talking about when we're looking at their social and emotional skills and things like how well do they separate from their parents as well. So do they seem calm and able um, to stay at school without mum and dad there? Um, Or are they, you know, really anxious and getting very distressed about the fact of being separated from their parents. I think what's important is that there really isn't a hard and fast rule. So a child who might be really distressed about separating from their parents, that's a very normal expression for that child to show. There's nothing wrong with a child that shows that. And with some support and guidance and nurturing from the teachers and the parents, the child can probably um, get over that in a few days, maybe a week or two. Um, Some kids might take longer and that's where you might start to go, maybe there is a problem here and this child isn't ready. Um, But so what is difficult about making the decision is that some children will start school and they can't share and they can't take turns, you know, and they can't make friends very easily. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're not ready for school. It means that they need a lot of support and guidance, but we all do and as you say you know kids in grade two and three and four might not be good at sharing and taking turns Um, so it really is difficult to go well at what level is this too much and I won't send my child Um, ultimately I say to parents you really need to go with your gut when it comes down to it you need to get very good information you need to trust the professionals around you and ultimately you have to go with your gut as to what you think is the right decision for your child. I think you've just picked up on something I definitely noticed from speaking with Leonie and that was her her instinct was that her son was too young but he's there now, like he's thriving now but she says it took a long time and a lot of work. I just want to play a grab of, of how she found that first year at school. He struggled, I'll be really honest. He's academically very bright. That's never been a problem for him, but it was the social interaction, it was the emotional intelligence, it was the resilience that he struggled with. I mean, we were very blessed with a beautiful teacher, and I'm very grateful for kindy teachers, and in fact, he's always had amazing, beautiful, compassionate teachers, but we were in email communication with his teacher pretty much every week. His dad and I divorced, so there's two separate homes, there was you know, the parenting going on in different houses and we had to be very consistent with communication. So we were just always very mindful of how he was coping, which was not particularly well in that first year of kidney. I've got to say, when I listen to that, the thing that I would be concerned about with my youngest, who he'll be turning five just before the middle of the year, if he was to start school that year, 
My concern about them having a tough year is that it might colour their impression of school for the, <laughs> for the rest of their lives. Is there any research to say that a bad start to school can have those kind of implications? There isn't any research on that that I'm aware of, no. There's actually limited research in the area um, and it's tricky to do research in the area because once a child is delayed, um, you know, it's hard to know what would have happened if they weren't delayed and obviously if you send them on time, it's hard to know what would have happened if they were delayed. Um, however, I think what's important is that we don't want children to cope with preps or their first year of school so you know sometimes people will say I think they'll cope you know I think they'll cope I'm like well we don't really want them to cope we want them to thrive you know we want them to love being there we want them to feel competent and capable and engaged um we want them to feel challenged in a good way, not overly challenged and stressed because they can't do or understand or follow. Um, so I do think that, um, you know, listening to um, the woman that was speaking um, also makes me feel like perhaps in that situation, delaying may have been better because it shouldn't be an enormous amount of hard work for the child to cope with that first year of school. I don't think we want to set them up um, for that because it may, and again, there isn't a lot of research in this area, but it may mean that they do view school as a not great place to be and as a really challenging place to be where they struggle. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Dr. Amanda Mergler. She's a senior lecturer at the School of Early Childhood and Inclusive Education at Queensland University of Technology. And we're talking about the difficulty of deciding when your child should start school, particularly if they're on the younger age bracket when they enter into that school year. It is actually really complex. I mean, who knew when my kids were younger, it wasn't something that I thought about at all. But now I can see all these different issues with whether you hold them back or not. Um, Amanda, there's been a lot of discussion and research around boys in particular, and I've spoken to people and experts like Steve Bedolf and Maggie Dent, and they there's this argument that boys can take a bit longer to develop those social, social and emotional skills. Obviously not all boys, but many do. And that they actually benefit from starting school later. What's your take on that? Um, I think there is a lot of uh, evidence to show that boys do develop some of those um, social and emotional skills um, later than what girls tend to develop them. And again, as you say, that wouldn't be true for all boys and it wouldn't be true for all girls. Um, I think what's important is often boys are less likely to be seen as having the right temperament for school. So they're sort of less likely to sit nicely um, and sit still and pay attention for longer periods of time. Um, and that's really normal behaviour to want to run around, particularly at, you know, four and a half or five years old. And girls also have that. Um, girls, I think, are better at doing what's asked of them. That's not necessarily a good thing, but I think we, <laughs> yes. we condition our girls to um, you know, be more willing to sit still and listen. Um, but I think we have to really think about our school environment and is it appropriate? Is sitting still for 15 or 20 minutes and listening to someone talk and try to you know, follow some complex line of reasoning really an appropriate thing for four and a half and five-year-old boys and girls? 
um, to be doing. We know as parents, when we take our children outside, I spend an enormous amount of time with my children out in nature. You know, we camp a lot. And the reason we do that is because they're unbelievably happy in those environments and they entertain themselves with sticks and leaves. That's all it takes. Um, they love being outdoors and they love being active and kids love moving. So part of the problem is that we put them in an environment in school at a young age and ask them to do behaviours that actually run counter to what are natural for them and what are developmentally appropriate for them and what they want to do. So I hear that and I think I'm I'm holding my boy back. <laughs> I'm gonna we're gonna move to Finland and he can start formal education at seven or eight or nine, whatever it is. I mean, with that with that philosophy in mind and what you're seeing in what we do here in Australia, are boys being held back more often than girls? Yes, they certainly are. So we um, there was research that was done that came out in 2007 using data from 2006 across Australia, everywhere but Queensland because at that time we didn't have a prep year so our kids did start a bit later um, and it found that boys were overwhelmingly being delayed. Um, in Queensland, the research we did took data from 2010 um, every year up to 2014 and we found that within that five-year span, every year, more boys were delayed than girls. I think it was overall it was 68% of the delayed um, group were boys. That's so interesting. Um, let's hear again from Leonie Percy. She's explaining here why she decided to send Lael young even though she was concerned that it was too soon. At the time I was a single mum so for me to put him in five days of care when I was running my business um, financially was quite a strain so I decided to send him on the advice from his preschool even though I knew he would be the youngest in his class. In this instance is holding back actually a privilege? I mean many people can't actually afford for their child to stay in daycare for an extra year can they? That's true. Um, the research internationally, sh internationally shows that um, families with more money are more likely to delay and for that exact reason because they can afford the cost of another year um, in childcare. Um, it, in Australia, we find the same, that it's the wealthier families that are more likely to delay. In our Queensland study, we did look at that um, and when we looked at just the highest earning um, families and the lowest earning families, we did find a difference that you were more likely to be delayed if you came from a higher earning family than a lower earning family. It's absolutely true that it costs more for childcare um, and you know, you, you really you have to think about that, whether or not you can actually afford it. So it's quite a um, challenging thing for exactly this mum that, that you've spoken to when they say, I, I think this might be better, but I actually can't afford to make that decision. Mm. And it seems that that would have a ripple effect if you've got inequality in that very first way they start. And if it actually does benefit them to be held back, then you're further exacerbating that inequality in a way, aren't you? Well, yes, and I suppose, you know, that is that is true of everything, isn't it? Mm. You know, the more privilege you have, um, then the more privilege you're going to have in a whole lot of other ways as well. Yeah. Now, some parents, speaking of privilege, <laughs> some parents were also concerned about the other end of the schooling spectrum. So when their child hit the senior years of schools, what did you find there? 
Yeah, I found that really very interesting. Our, we analysed as part of our study an online discussion forum where parents had been talking about whether or not they would delay their child's start to school. Um, and we looked at what were the key themes that kept coming up over and over again in their comments. And one of the themes that we found um, was that parents were really concerned about how old the child would be when the child was in high school. And a lot of the parents said, you know, oh, if my child starts really young, you know, when they get to grade 9 and 10 and 11, they'll be the youngest in their year, so the older kids will be drinking and the older kids will be driving cars and I don't want my young child, who may not be socially and emotionally able to cope with those um, older kids expecting more of them, um, to be in that situation. I had not expected, actually, to find that people were thinking that far down the track, but they absolutely were, and they were really worried about how they'd fare in high school as the youngest kid. My goodness, this parent thing is so fraught. <laughs> Don't worry that far ahead. Um, <laughs> is there any way of knowing what the right decision is? Um, I don't think so, no, unfortunately. I know that people want an answer, um, but I, there really isn't one. I think that you have to look at your individual child. And, and actually, you know, I, I know that might frustrate people, but actually that's the most important thing. What we're talking about here is that individual child. And you make a decision based on what you know about that child. Um, you, you know, draw in as many resources as you can to help you. Um, one of the reasons I became interested in this area and, and did this big research study is because my own son was due to start school and I started thinking about maybe I'll delay him and I found that there was really limited research in the area and for Queensland there was really no research as to what was happening in Queensland. Um, so I was in a privileged position as an academic where I could then do that research and start to see what was going on. But ultimately, even I had to go, there's no clear answer, even with all of this knowledge. And so I have to go with my gut and do what I think is right for my own son, which was to delay him. I think that's a really interesting observation to end this conversation on. Amanda, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. That was Dr. Amanda Mergler. She's a senior lecturer at the School of Early Childhood and Inclusive Education at the Queensland University of Technology. Hi, we're the Beanies. Get your child off screens and into their imagination as we explore how bubbles are made. What's in a sneeze? Achoo! And what's with the weather today? Professor Know-It-All knows. Hello, beanies. Hello. The, the beanies. beanies. A podcast just for kids. Subscribe now on iTunes or listen anytime on the Kindling app.